everybody, and welcome to the September 21st, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I'm your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, on Friday night, just after I finished recording the show, well, not just after, a few hours after, it was announced that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I dropped my pencil, had died, leaving a vacant Supreme Court seat. Now, there are a million and a half things we can talk about right now, and I'm just going to say, this is not going to be an episode about honoring her legacy. There's a place for that, and that place has been the mainstream media for the past two days and probably the next two weeks. And although there is seriously a time and a place for that, now is just not it, because there are more important things we need to talk about. Now, first off, Republicans have made it no secret that they plan on... Um, filling the seat with whoever Trump nominates just before an election, might I add. Not even just in an election year, but just before the election. Now, there are obvious calls of hypocrisy here. Um, but after all, Mitch McConnell did make sure Merrick Garland did not get a vote. They didn't put him up for a vote and deny him, which they had the right to do. They just didn't vote on him throughout all of 2016. That was a year-long fight. Well, almost an entire year-long fight, about a nine-month-long fight. Or actually, close to, yeah, about nine months. A nine-month fight um, revolving around if Eric Garland, or Merrick Garland, sorry, would be on the Supreme Court, and McConnell blocked every attempt. Now, his argument was that we need to let the people decide. After all, the people elected a Democratic president twice, but he also... Elected a Republican Senate once, so they're a little confused right now. And as such, it is only appropriate we wait until after the election. And on paper, that excuse made sense. Now, mind you, the last time before the death of Scalia, where a nominee was put up during an election year was Anthony Kennedy in 1988. And he was then confirmed in 1988, despite the fact that Democrats did control the Senate and President Reagan was a Republican. But that is... Besides the point, actual precedent doesn't matter, because they had Joe Biden saying in 1992 that hypothetically, if a Supreme Court seat would go vacant, then President Bush should wait until um, after the election or appoint a moderate. Leave out that part. Leave out the appoint a moderate part. Leave it, no, ignore that part. No, no judges. We're going full Strom Thurmond on this. That's actually where the rule originated, by the way. It was 1968. Strom Thurmond didn't want President Johnson to appoint a new Supreme Court Chief Justice. That's it. He, so he blocked it and said, well, we shouldn't do that during an election year. Now, mind you, Thurmond broke that rule his, himself several times. He never made a fight about any other judge for the rest of the time in the Senate. And he was in the Senate throughout every administration up until the first quarter of the George W. Bush years. And again, he let Anthony Kennedy speed right on through. That was fine, that was fine, it's just when a Democrat does it, that's the issue. Now, mind you, I wouldn't mind this, okay, I would still mind it a lot, I wouldn't be mad about it if they were just upfront about it, if they were just upfront about being obstructionists, but that's not what they're doing. The same day Ginsburg died, in a statement that if a Democrat had made after the death of Scalia, might I add, would be universally considered bad taste by the hand-wringing media. I'm just saying that right now. If this was a Democratic administration and this happened to a Republican, just it would be immediately considered bad taste by hand-wringers everywhere, but nobody cared. Uh, Mitch McConnell said the main difference was that the people elected Donald Trump in 2016 and elected Republicans to keep control of the Senate in 2016 and expanded their victory in 2018. But wait, 
Is that actually true? Because the people did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. The Electoral College did. Now, mind you, I'm not going to sit here and argue that we should abolish the Electoral College as a result, although you can have that argument if you want. However, at the very least, can we stop framing it? Three years in, like this was some revolt of the people and not a revolt of 80,000 people in three specific swing states. That's what it was. That's all it was. It wasn't the people electing Trump. It was a handful of them. And Senate Republicans also lost a popular vote in 2016 and 2018. In fact, Senate Republicans failed to get even 40% of the vote in 2018. Now, for context, you guys remember 2006, the wave election, the one that put Pelosi in charge of the House and uh, Reid in charge of the Senate, and that was the beginning of the end of Bush. That was the beginning of the end of Republicans as a whole. That was the beginning of the end of, the, that was the beginning of this new democratic government paradise. Yet there, Republicans in the Senate, led by Bill Frist, still at least got 41% of the votes. So McConnell is holding a majority with less votes than one of the biggest losses in the history of his party. That doesn't even make any sense. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean anything. They still have the most season. I've been talking about this on Twitter all day, and tons of people have been responding with, well, haven't you read the Constitution? Yes, I have. I own a copy, in fact. And obviously, we can't add little asterisks next to every single possible scenario where a democratic republic might be called into question. However, at the very least, can we treat this like what it is, a cold, brooding political process done by a party who got lucky once six years ago, instead of some mandate by the people? If McConnell were to have just said that, that, hey, we got lucky six years ago, what are you going to do about it? That would be one thing. But no, instead he's consistently pretending he, Mitch McConnell, the most hated senator in this country has the popular support of the American people. McConnell's approval ratings nationwide are always the lowest, for the record. Literally nobody likes Mitch McConnell. The only time anyone did was ironically back in, I think it was 2018, because a coal businessman who ran for Senate said that he trafficked cocaine and was secretly a Chinese double agent. You guys remember that one? I do. And that was hilarious. Uh, but let's talk about the actual ramifications right now. Because a lot on the right, especially Matt Walsh, I've seen him do this the most, have treated it like if there was a conservative Supreme Court justice, the only thing that would affect is abortion. Nothing else. Nothing else. Seriously, check what Matt Walsh has been saying about the Supreme Court. It's all been about how a new justice might interfere with liberals attempting to murder babies. Because despite the fact that uh, the right repeatedly accuses liberals of being obsessed with abortion, and sometimes they are with, like, shout your abortion and the like, there is no group more obsessed with abortion than the pro-life movement. I swear to God, it's the only thing they ever talk about. Uh, and mind you, there are some liberals who are concerned. After all, Roe v. Wade was trending on Twitter the morning after Ginsburg died. I do not believe it's going to be overturned because that's just simply not how courts work. And even then, there's really no reason to believe that at the current moment. But hey, hey, you know what? Fair is fair. That is a concern.
But let's talk about the bigger concern, most notably the fact that our president currently is going around saying the election is rigged against him. And for that matter, he wants to postpone the election date until after the current pandemic. And this is the man who is going to, to appoint the next Supreme Court justice. You know, most people realize that Bush used as many tricks as possible to get the 2000 election. There's a whole book on it I recommend. It's called Jews for Buchanan. It's a little, it was written in 2001. It covers in detail how the 2000 election was essentially stolen from Al Gore and given to George W. Bush. Now, one of the things that was mentioned was that Florida was not the only state they tried to steal. Several states with Republican governors, which Gore was winning, went on CNN and said that, well, it's too close to call. Sorry. Uh, the biggest one, the one who did this the longest, in fact, was Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge, who was later made uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security. So they are willing to do these tactics. Now tell me, how would Trump's new Supreme Court justice react if just coincidentally a bunch of Republican governors from states that were going to give their electoral votes to Joe Biden decided that actually there's some irregularities in our election and we need to sue, or if the Trump campaign tried to sue, or anything under the sun, how would this new Supreme Court justice react? Now, abortion is an important issue, do not get me wrong. However, liberals are right now missing the forest for the trees. They are, should be worried. They should be worried about precedents a new judge would set on abortion. What we need to worry about, however, as of right now, is what that judge would do in case there's a contested election. Because abortion cases happen every now and again, okay? Those can be reversed fairly easily. It is much easier to create precedents that stop bans than it is to create precedents that allow them, which is how it should be. A contested election, however, can only happen once by definition. And as such, that should be the primary concern during any hearings we have about this new Supreme Court justice, assuming we have them in the first place, I would be in complete support of Democrats blocking them until at least after the election, primarily because I do not trust this president to appoint someone who won't just be a giant rubber stamp. I really don't. I think whoever this man appoints is going to be a giant rubber stamp in case he contests the election. And if he's allowed to get another one, he will contest it. I can promise you that right now. Or at least unless there's a such a massive backlash that doing so would cause a genuine coup. And we're not talking like 2000 protests or 2016 protests. We're talking an honest-to-God coup. We're talking the French Revolution were to happen. That would be necessary to stop Trump from contesting the election. I am promising you that right now. Anyway, I hear something from FJ News Reporter. U.S. authorities say that Iran may have enough fizzle for a huge nuclear bomb by the end of the year. I see why am I, Iran says Trump will be a target for life. You know, if only, if only, there we had some kind of deal with Iran, specifically on this topic, um, that would allow, say, the IAEA to go in and monitor them to make sure they don't get to this point, and for that matter, would ban them from further creating 
nuclear weapons, or for that matter, even engaging in research related to nuclear activity, unless it's for the purposes of medicine or their own nuclear power grid. If only someone had thought up such a deal. I I'm being serious. If only someone had. Anyone could have. It doesn't matter who anyone could have. If, even if it was Barack Obama and John Kerry, those two. Just ragtag crazy guys thought up a deal specifically for this purpose. That would be amazing. That would solve this problem in a heartbeat. But no such deal. Oh, you know the punchline. Yes, this specifically happened. This was only able to happen because we got rid of the Iran deal. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to argue about how true these claims are. Although... Iran having weapons of mass destruction does sound oddly like a rerun. However, let's just talk about the fact that we specifically made sure they didn't. And they were complying with it, too. It wasn't like Iraq under Saddam Hussein. Because under Hussein, he refused to show any evidence he complied with them. Seriously, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He repeatedly refused to show any evidence. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Iranian government has been working with the U.S. specifically to get rid of their WMDs purely because they don't want to be invaded. That's really what it comes down to. They don't want to be invaded. And it's hard to get Iran to work with the U.S. because they have such a terrible history together, might, might I add. Multiple pieces of evidence found that they were complying with every nuclear nonproliferation agreement the U.N. put forward, might I add agreeing with every dot and tittle of those agreements, not even including the Iran nuclear deal, also including other various treaties related to nuclear nonproliferation. Unlike, by the way, countries like the United States and Israel, uh, both of which were not complying with those deals. Israel especially was not complying with those deals. And now, thanks to that, thanks to that, Thanks to this administration attempting to show itself to be tough on Iran by getting us out of the deal that prevented them from getting a nuke. You know what that means? Now Iran may have a nuclear bomb. This was specifically what the Iran deal was set out to avoid. And what happened as a result? Well, it wasn't happening. We didn't have to worry about it. We didn't. Didn't that feel great, not having to worry about Iran developing nuclear weapons? Now, they might. They genuinely might, because we pulled out of the Iran nuclear accord. And I know it sounds like I keep repeating this one point, but that's because it is impossible to stress how much of Donald Trump's fault this is. Seriously, his administration ending the Iran nuclear accord is what caused Iran to even be able to do this in the first place. Um, so I would just like to thank Donald Trump personally for showing how tough he is on Iran. Because that's his big thing. He's tough on our enemies by nearly getting us into a nuclear war. This is the president who hasn't started a military conflict, by the way. That's their favorite meme, that he hasn't started a military conflict. Now he's going to pull a Wilson and start a military conflict with China in his second term. He's just openly talking about that now. He might as well just be screaming it from the rooftops and a lot of his supporters support it. However, 
I would just like to say that even if it is true that Donald Trump has not specifically started a conflict, and by the way, he's started bombing in Niger, and he's nearly talked about, and he's talked about regime change in several different nations, but he hasn't quite gotten to that point yet. He hasn't quite, he's appointed tons of war hawks like Bolton, who he at least fired, and Elliot Abrams, and Mike Pompeo, and tons of other ones. Tons of other ones, but he hasn't specifically started a conflict yet. Well, Iran has a nuclear bomb, but at least he didn't specifically start the conflict. He didn't start the fire, if you will. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that it's burning. So, hey, who knows? Who genuinely knows at this point? Well, I do, and I'll tell you, yeah, this could have been avoided if our president actually didn't pull us out of the Iran nuclear accords. Last piece of news for tonight is from Cryon. The Justice Department labeled the cities of New York, Seattle, and Portland, Oregon as jurisdictions, quote, and apparently I need to turn off my ad block to read that quote. Uh, okay, yeah, it's back on. That have permitted violence and destruction of property, targeting them for possible cuts in federal funding. Following a memorandum issued earlier this month by President Donald Trump, the Justice Department published a list of cities the White House wants to get more aggressive on civil unrest in the wake of police shootings and killings. Of course, by the way, we're not going to address why uh, this civil unrest keeps going on. Again, that would involve stopping breaking the windows. And breaking the windows are Bill Barr's favorite things to do, unless, of course, the window is... Uh, inside a house that is selling weapons to Iran illegally, then that's okay, as long as you're President Reagan's friend. Um, however, however, I should also note, just for the sake of pointing out how absolutely ridiculous everything about this is, is the fact that only one-ninth of Americans have listed law and order as their major concern. And I know I keep bringing that up. But I thought this was the criminal justice reform president. I thought this was the move away from traditional Republican ideas and to working-class Americans. Working-class Americans don't want tough-on-crime people. They don't. They typically don't. Hence why only one-ninth of Americans consider this even remotely important. Seriously. Only one-ninth of Americans consider law and order to be their biggest factor in voting in 2020. And that's what the president keeps appealing to. I mean, there's just no way around it. This is absolutely nonsensical, no matter how you look at it. We cannot allow federal tax dollars to be wasted, Attorney General William Barr said in a statement. Oh, that's all they're ever done with them. It is my hope that these cities infested... Uh, by the Department of Justice today will reverse course and become serious about performing the basic function of government and start protecting their own citizens. I'm just going to stare blankly at you for a couple of seconds. Okay, everyone got the point? I think, I think you got the point. And again, again, the vast majority of Americans do not care about this. A lot of them even signed with Antifa and BLM. Which is the exact opposite of what these people want. So now the president is specifically targeting jurisdictions. These are large jurisdictions, by the way. Eight million people live in New York City alone. I think it's about, yeah, it's about eight million people. There are entire countries that don't even have eight million people. And you really think you're going to be able to go after them in Portland, 
And what was the other one? Uh, it was that Portland and Seattle. And, and why Seattle, by the way? I mean, yeah, they had Chop, but that one was kind of cracked down on a while ago. I don't know if you noticed that, Mr. President. Uh, but the Seattle Autonomous Zone is kind of gone now. I know, and Jay Inslee is back to doing what he normally does, which is just believing in climate change all day. Nothing else. He just believes in climate change and nothing else. Um, so this is utterly nonsensical. However, he has a new name for these areas. You guys ready? He has declared them anarchist jurisdictions. Whatever that means. What the heck's an anarchist jurisdiction? Do you guys actually know what anarchy is? Or did you just see Mad Max like five years ago? I mean, this is obviously utterly ridiculous and nonsensical. New York, Seattle, and Portland are all some of the most regulated cities in the country. The NYPD is still one of the highest-funded police um, policing units in this entire nation. Yet we're sitting here and expecting to hear that, oh my god, these people are anarchists. No, they aren't. They objectively aren't. Bill de Blasio said he was going to ramp up enforcement of his cigarette tax after they strangled the guy for not following it. That's anarchy? Or is that a narco-tyranny, which doesn't actually exist, just an oxymoron used by people to sound smart, despite the fact they're morons? Uh, <laughs> that's our show. Good night.